From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for being uh, with us today and for the team that's in the room. Thankful that you're here and I'm not alone looking into a camera. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. We are in the Gospel of Mark, and we've been taking this chunk by chunk, piece by piece, uh, just going through. We actually began Mark at the beginning of this uh, COVID pandemic back in um, beginning of April, I believe it was. And uh, I, I looked at it when we first started as, a, you know, sometimes when we gather in church, there's a, the preaching is, is a little bit more evangelistic. Uh, I get a little bit more passion. I'm pretty passionate when I preach. Um, but this kind of affords us that opportunity just to kind of t- have a little bit more of a teaching moment as we take kind of chunk by chunk and, and piece by piece. And we actually come to a verse today, a passage that's not the most comfortable part to talk about. And I know what some of you may be thinking, hey, there's been a lot of these that aren't comfortable. I know that. But this is one of those, um, which is why I think it's actually incredible, incredibly important for us to go through books of the Bible because it, it forces us to, to address the things in here that aren't necessarily comfortable for us to talk about and, and, and not just focus on the things that make us feel good. You know, at, at Parkway Church, we want to teach the whole and preach and, and, and follow the whole counsel of God. We want to lead in that and not just the stuff that kind of makes us feel nice. And, and this is one of those. And here's the truth. If the truth of the scripture don't confront your, your understanding or your ideology or your belief, then it's possible that you've set yourself up in a position that's either above God or above the scripture. I believe that truth in the scripture at some point is gonna confront the things that we understand or the things that we hold. And when that happens, when we, kind of, when we don't have those moments, is we, we can actually begin to create a the, theology that suits ourselves um, you know, kind of just taking scripture or taking ideas from scripture and just trying to fit that into what we already believe. But the problem with that is that's idolatry. What we actually hold to as a script as a church here is what's called solo scriptura, which means that the scriptures are the uh, highest authority. We believe that they're the infallible word of God uh, for Christian faith and practice, um, the highest authority, um, which, which means that its truth trumps your truth. Right, and if there's any a disag- ever a disagreement between what the Bible says and what we what we say, then we're wrong, and the scriptures are right. That's what we hold to, and that's where true submission comes in. Right, when we submit to something that's tough, that's hard, but because we believe the scriptures to be the true word of God, we we hold to that. We can't just say we can't just say, well, I don't think God would be like that, because what we do in, in saying things like that is we begin to create God in our own image as opposed to submitting to who God truly is. Welcome to church. So if, this, if you're new, you've picked a great day. Um, but we're gonna get into a text today and I'm gonna, I'm gonna come out swinging, I think a little bit harder, but I need you to stick with me because we're gonna end in the loving embrace of God's grace. So stick with me. But let's pray, let's bow our heads and let's read together. Father God, we just, uh, we submit ourselves to your truth today and we submit ourselves to the scripture and we submit ourselves to you. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak with clarity to our hearts and to our minds. 
Lord, regardless of where we sit on the spectrum of believing or holding to your scripture, I pray that you'd penetrate, God. Your word says that you penetrate, God, um, soul and, and heart, God, today in the name of Jesus. Lord, open us, God, and soften us to the things you wanna say. And I know, God, and I pray this so often, that as I share from this, you can speak to a completely different issue in anyone's life. And so in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you speak today with clarity? We love you, we bless you, and we open ourselves to you in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to uh, Mark chapter 10. We're gonna start at verse one and go all the way through to verse 12. It says this, Jesus then left that place and went into the Georgian, to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, he says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this, and he answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Stick with me. Regardless of your, you know, your life, regardless of where you are and what's happened in your life, single or married, um, it's good to know what the Bible teaches. You know, even with your circumstance, there's grace for you, but I, so I want you to stick with me. You know, our, our wedding day was... Um, was both a blur to me, and it's, I have the clearest and fondest memories of, of it. Uh, so much went into planning that day, so much between like getting vendors and, and, and you know, time and effort and, and arranging flowers and decorations and, and seating charts, you know, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> don't get me started about seating charts and who's gonna come and who's not gonna come. I don't even remember half the people actually attended our wedding. We were actually having this conversation the other day and Jody's like, they were at our wedding. I'm like, I have no idea. I can't remember a lot of those things. But at the same time, it's the, it's, it was the most beautiful day for, for us. And I have, I have such clear memories that we got, we got married on, in a garden outside and the sun was shining and, and we had a, a cellist playing. It was, just, it was just absolutely beautiful. She looked gorgeous. I looked okay, you know. Everything was great about it. And, and it was a capstone for us. You know, for many people, we, you think about, you know, you look forward to your wedding day. And even before we even met, even before Jody and I knew each other, we, we had been dreaming about this day. And finally, it had arrived. But the reality is, is it's not so much about the wedding day. We put so much time and effort into planning. And if you know, if you've been married, if you've helped anyone get married, you know about that. You put so much effort and time into this one big day, but then the day goes and it's really about the rest. It's about the marriage. Now, over the last 50 to 60 years, our culture's view of marriage has actually shifted dramatically. It's gone from being this sacred institution, being held in such high regard to not holding the same value. And then since then, there's been um, somewhat of a retreat from marriage. So before the 1970s, marriage was this 
foundation for adulthood. It was the place for financial security. It was the exclusive uh, venue for sexual intimacy and parenthood. It was almost like a membership club for adulthood. You've arrived when you got married. But then since the 1960s and 1970s, it's shifted. And sociologists actually suggest a few factors that have made our culture retreat from marriage. I just wanna give you a few, just as kind of commentating on culture here. So first was the rise of individualism. There was no longer the social obligation to get married. Marriage was no longer the badge you wore that you had arrived. Secondly, because of the sexual revolution in the 1960s and 70s, the, the connection between sex and marriage and parenthood began to erode making marriage less necessary for having children and making sexual intimacy outside of marriage more common. Third was feminism. Um, As women's rights rose in the labor force, and rightfully so, uh, that fostered a sense of equality in marriage and in homes, and rightfully so, but because of that, that reduced the imperative to get and stay married. And then fourth, they say that the increase of children being raised in non-intact families. So thus marriage and really the whole uh, family-centered ethos uh, was less central to life. Now, some of the things that led to this, as I was just reflecting on it, um, they're neither right nor wrong, but the point is that marriage doesn't have the same value in our culture as it once did. Interestingly enough, I found this out, that divorce rates have been, on the, uh, have been falling fast in recent years. One study uh, suggested or su- says that it just hit a record low in 2019. For every 1,000 marriages, only 14.9 ended in divorce. And I thought that sounded pretty good. But then as I reflected on this idea of this retreat from marriage, I thought, well, maybe it's because less and less people are getting married because marriage doesn't have the same value as it once did. Now, why, why does this all matter? And why do I say all this? It's because the scriptures actually have a really high view of marriage, teaching us that it's something that was created by God in the beginning for sexual intimacy, for procreation, and that ma- the marriage covenant actually reflects God's covenant with the church. The church throughout the New Testament is often called the bride of Christ, Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom. And in the end, when Jesus returns and heaven and earth um, really begins, there's this big wedding, there's a reception, there's a feast as the church and God come together for all eternity. Now in the book of Mark, in the section we look at, we see that Jesus actually has an extremely high view of marriage and a very strong position on divorce. And that's what we're gonna kind of look at today is what this all means. But before we get there, I wanna read a couple other scriptures for you and give you a little bit of context that's gonna help us kind of interpret this passage. So Genesis chapter two, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter two. We're gonna start at verse 21. It says this, so this is the very first book of the Bible. Genesis means beginning. This is the very first book of the Bible. And this is before sin entered into the world. This is before Adam and Eve sinned against God. And um, this is what took place. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. So Adam was the first organ donor. I thought about that. God was the first surgeon, and Adam was the first organ donor. Verse 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she should be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why 
a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. One flesh. So right from the beginning, God is saying in marriage, two people become one human being, one soul, one body fused together. We'll take a look at that a little bit more one day, but let's go on to Deuteronomy chapter 24. If you have a Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses one through four. It says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and kind of center your focus on that word indecent, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she's been defiled. That would be a detestable uh, in the eyes of the Lord, do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. So keep in mind, this is Old Testament scripture. And when we look at the Old Testament, what we're really looking at is the Hebrew Bible or the Jewish scriptures. Now the Jewish rabbis, we gotta remember Jesus was a rabbi in the first century. The Jewish rabbis actually talked about the difference between what was permitted and what was commanded or what was a concession and what was a command. So a command is God's heart. It's his intention. It's his, his design. From the very beginning, this is what he, he commands and wants for us. A concession is what is permitted. It's the other stuff. It's the practical side of God saying that, you know, you're sinful and life is messy. And because of that, you know, things happen that isn't right. So this passage in Deuteronomy, this is Moses writing this. And Moses is permitting here. He's not commanding divorce. He's permitting divorce. He's not teaching divorce. Just because, we gotta understand this too, when you're looking at the Bible, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that the Bible is saying that this is the way life should be, right? Often the, life, the, the Bible is uh, descriptive, not prescriptive. And so what he's saying here is, is, is he's permitting divorce. Notice the ifs. If this happens, if, if she leaves, if he dies, here's what to do. One, one commentator actually said, he said what Moses is actually advocating in this text is against the exploitation of women. So, so God is actually for women. Now in the time of Jesus, there was a lot of debate on this passage, specifically what that word indecent meant. There was the, the, the right-wing thinkers who taught that indecent only means adultery. That adultery is the one thing that breaks the covenant one flesh bond. Bond. It's the kill shot, right? This is the one and only reason that they say um, divorce is permitted. Now, there were the left-wing thinkers, and they taught that that word indecent meant that anything was anything you don't like about your wife. So she snores too loud, you know, she farts a lot, uh, she, you fall out of love, I just fell out of love. How do you fall out of love? Do you trip on something? You just fell out of love, she doesn't make you happy, and then you divorce. Now this was actually a very heated debate in Jesus' time, and the, the right-wing um, thinking was actually among the minority. Most people, most rabbis, Pharisees, teachers of the law, they kind of held to that left-wing kind of thinking. So let's jump back into Mark. You know, Jesus had just entered uh, Judea and the crowds had come and as is custom, he begins to teach them. And then the Pharisees, like the Pharisees have often done, they didn't like Jesus. They believed Jesus was messing with, with their kind of prestige and, and it was, he was showing up on their scene and stealing their followers and kind of messing things up for them. So they come to try to test Jesus. 
by asking him about divorce. Basically, they're saying, where do you stand on this issue? Right there, they're trying to trip him up. Are you with the right wing? Are you with the left wing thinkers? They're trying to trap him. So Jesus says, well, what does Moses command you? What does Moses command you? To which they replied that Moses permitted a man to write her certificate of divorce and send her away. Like Jesus is so smart. He's, he's forcing them to, to admit that it was permitted, not, not commanded. He's forcing them to admit that, that Moses had given them permission, but didn't teach divorce. They have to admit that it's not God's design, that it's not his heart. And so he goes on to say in verse five, it is because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. But at the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So Jesus is actually quoting that Genesis passage, Genesis chapter two. And what he's revealing here is actually quite significant. See, scholars um, and tradition kind of teaches that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, which we often refer to as the Pentateuch or the Torah. So Moses wrote the, the passage in Deuteronomy, but he also wrote the Genesis passage. He wrote what Jesus is quoting. So while Moses permitted divorce, he actually commanded the one flesh union. Are you tracking with me a little bit? While Moses permitted divorce, he actually commanded the one flesh union. So when Jesus says, what did Moses command you? He's pointing them back to the original command that if a person would leave their closest social bond that they ever knew between a parent and child and they would form a new, closer bond than that bond in the form of marriage, a one flesh, one person union. And then Jesus says this, which is kind of just like the stamp at the end. He says, therefore, because of all that, because of what you've asked, me because of what Moses permitted, because of what Moses commanded, because of what it says right in the beginning. He says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. What God has put into one flesh, do not tear apart. Now that term one flesh is super weighted, right? It's super weighted. It's deep. It's more than just sex and it implies that sex is more than just sex, that it has a depth to it that is spiritual. In fact, Paul says later on to the church in Corinth, he says, if you sleep around with prostitutes, you are becoming one with them in body. You're, you're unifying yourself with a prostitute. Therefore, Jesus says, what God has put together, let no one separate. End of command, done. Now, here's the craziness about this. This is an even stricter interpretation than the right-wing position reasons for divorce. And remember, you got to remember, it's the command. It's not the permission. So the disciples later on, right, they get into the house and they do what disciples do because what true followers of Jesus do is they ask questions. What does this mean? Tell me more. They want to learn more so they can grow and be like the rabbi. Disciples ask him about this and he says this in verse 11, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. What he's saying is divorce, essentially divorce is akin to adultery, that it's sin. It's tearing apart the one flesh union, that, that body and soul being fused together as one. It's, it's not God's design. It's, it's what's permitted, but it's not what's commanded. Now saying all of this, I know that this stirs up a lot of stuff. Right? This stirs up a lot of emotion, a lot of pain, a lot of uncertainty, 
awkwardness. You might feel awkward right now. I feel awkward. I'm quite thankful that I'm looking into a camera <laughs> because it's not comfortable to talk about. I've felt a lot of these things. I come from a divorced family. The divorce that my parents went through was incredibly messy. It's, it hurt me. It scarred me. There are things that I still deal with today because of that time period in my life. Everybody got hurt in it. And this is often where we start saying things like, where, well, I don't believe God is like that. Right? We begin to justify and try to fit the scriptures into our way of thinking. But here, let me remind you, this is what Jesus said. Right? The Pharisees at the time had a looser view of this than Jesus did. But this is what Jesus said. So stick with me. I want to, I want to take you through four main points. I want to dig a little bit deeper, okay? The first one is this, is that marriage is not a contract. Marriage is not a contract. We don't think about marriage the same way Jesus does. We are byproducts of a culture that has retreated from marriage. We don't have it uh, we don't hold it in, in the same regard as we used to. We don't consider it this sacred institution as we want used to. We see it more as a contract, as a mutual agreement. And when one party breaks the contract, we feel like we're free to divorce, right? Adultery, abuse, what have you, anything indecent. She snores too much. You know, he's too, he farts too loud. We're just done. I know that I probably shouldn't make light of that, but I am. So, so we use contract language, Right? One, one pastor even said this, the term grounds for biblical divorce, have you heard that term, grounds for biblical divorce, is contractual. And we don't actually find that in the scriptures. But in the scriptures, marriage is seen as a covenant. It's a promise that you made, that you would stand before your bride-to-be or your spouse-to-be, you'd stand before God who made you, and you would make a promise for better or for worse, for better or or for worse, till death do us part. It's a promise to stay faithful no matter what, easy or hard, happy or not. And that is scary. In fact, I was reading this week that one, one commentator, one pastor even said that if you're not scared on your wedding day, then you're not doing it right. If you're not scared on your wedding day, then you're not doing it right, because it's a big promise. A covenant. And I remember on my wedding day, I was waiting in this room. They put me in this room by myself. I don't even know who put me there, but somebody put me there, probably my pastor at the time, put me in this room and I'm just watching everybody kind of fill the, the space and I'm looking out these windows into this, it was beautiful little garden. And I was just getting so nervous. I was like shaking. I was just shaking, not because I didn't want to get married, but because it was a big deal. I promised to stay faithful regardless of what happens. It's a covenant. So this morning, this morning, I was talking to Jody a little bit about this, um, what I was going to be talking about today. And so naturally, our boys who are listening in start asking questions about divorce. Now, I, I left because I had to get here and start to prepare. But she calls me and says that she was talking to them about what divorce was, but also what God intended. And she said that something to the effect that daddy and mommy made a promise that we're going to be together forever, to which our son Joshua, who's five, says, What? What about me? Because apparently in about 20 years, I'm gonna be kicked to the curb and he's marrying his mom. <laughs> he's convinced he's married his mom. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. Number two is God's heart is always for reconciliation. God's heart is always for the bringing together. If you look 
at a clear picture of the story of God throughout the scriptures, you see that God is constantly trying to reconcile people back to himself. He's trying to restore the union that was lost in the, in the beginning in Genesis. He's trying to bring people back to himself to restore the relationship. We are the spouse who has cheated. We're the spouse who has abandoned. We're the one that's cussed out and left, and God is the one that's chasing after us. And in fact, the best image of this is actually found in the book of Hosea. Hosea was a minor prophet. You'll find him in the Old Testament. And he married a prostitute woman who naturally was unfaithful. And God calls Hosea to continually go back to her, to continually chase after her and love her, just as God continually loves us and returns to us even though we've been unfaithful. And if you take a big view of scripture, you'll see that. In fact, Pastor Mitch just read the scriptures, the whole Bible in 30 days. He did what's called the 30 day shred. And I bet you he's got that view of scripture. You see the whole story of God, of God just continually being faithful and chasing after people who continually run from God. That is who God is. God is for reconciliation. What does he always call us to do? As followers of Jesus Christ, we preach about this all the time, to forgive and to forgive and to forgive. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, how many times we gotta ask, we gotta forgive somebody he says 70 times seven which basically means keep going don't stop reconcile he says love each other love your enemy love your brother in fact in one place he says don't even go to worship if you got something that you need to make amends for with someone put your worship down and go make amends and then come back and worship God is for reconciliation so we either put in the, the long, hard work to reconcile, which is not fun, it's hard, it's difficult, but we're seeking the heart of God, or we divorce. God's heart is always for reconciliation, which leads me to number three, and obviously uh, very clear is marriages end in divorce. Like, it's not like I'm not living in 2021. Marriages end in divorce. I've watched people, some even in my family, who fight and fight and fight to reconcile. But in the end, one partner wants nothing to do with the other. They've just given up. One is fighting and fighting and wants to reconcile, and the other is just through. There are times because we are broken, because we are sinful and fallen, that it just doesn't work. We know this. You know this. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there. Some of you are feeling like it might be headed in that direction. Some of you are fighting really hard right now. Sometimes it just doesn't work. So a couple questions that leads me to ask is one, when is divorce not a sin? Right? If Jesus is equating it to adultery, the tearing apart of that one flesh union, is there a place when, when, when divorce is not considered a sin? Now you've probably heard different things throughout you know, your life. But let's look at what the Bible teaches, right? It's our highest authority, and we wanna submit ourselves to the Bible. What does the Bible have to say? Well, Jesus in Matthew, if we go over to Matthew chapter 19, it's the exact same scene, um, but from Matthew's perspective, Jesus actually gives us a clause. Um, in his response, he says this, in verse, Matthew chapter 19, verse nine, he says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Now, some would say that this is the only time, right? That was the right-wing thinking, that the only clause for divorce, the only grounds for divorce is adultery. Now, others would say that this is an exhaustive. Paul, actually, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, while speaking about 
um, being someone who's married to an unbeliever, he actually says that if, if, um, if the unbelieving spouse has abandoned you, then it's, valid, it's a valid reason for divorce. Now, I don't think Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when he says that abandonment is valid, is disagreeing with Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 19. I don't think there's, that he's disagreeing with Jesus. I think what he's saying is that Jesus' list isn't exhaustive, right? That there's a couple things that kind of, that are, that are tearing apart of that one flesh union. And I wanna add one more to that, that we often see, but it's not explicitly clear in scripture, but I will argue is in line with scripture, and that is abuse. When someone finds themselves in an abusive situation, my thinking is that the abuser has abandoned that covenant, right? It's what Paul was talking about. They've abandoned that covenant, falls under that statement. It's not adultery, right? But they're, they're tearing apart that one flesh union. Now, most pastors that I know of, most teachers of scripture that I've encountered would say that these three are kind of the, and it's gray, right? It's not clear, these three are, are, the, are the three things that, that are grounds for divorce not being said. But we need to keep this in mind. That God's heart is always for reconciliation. God's heart is always for reconciliation. I've heard countless stories of people who have separated, even divorced, and then years later, through God working in their own heart and doing a work in, in the situation, they've come together and the marriage has been restored. This is what Jesus does, right? He makes things new. If he can restore us unto himself, he can restore a relationship. He takes the brokenness, he takes the sinfulness, and he uses it for the good of those who love him. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter eight, he says God uses all things, right? All things for the good of those who are called to his purposes. I've, taken him, I've seen him take a hard-hearted divorced person who would never open themselves up to another person and, and heal their brokenness, and then, and then they've found someone else. Right, they found someone else. God works in all things. So is, um, when is divorce not a sin? Sexual immorality, abandonment, abuse. But then that leads to the next question, is, is it okay to remarry? Now, we would probably all have quick opinions about this, but again, let's look at what the scriptures say. Now, some would say, um, throughout the teaching of the New Testament, um, that no, never. Based off of what Jesus said, when Jesus said, anyone who divorces a wife and marries another woman, commits adultery. The logic behind this, I think, is that it's better off to be divorced and single than to divorce and remarry. Now, let me just, let's just talk about this for a second. Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, he actually preaches this. He says that it's better to remain um, unmarried. I'm just gonna pull it up here. Yeah, he says that it's actually better to remain unmarried, that, that when, you're, when you're unmarried, you are free from the concerns of marriage and the affairs of this world, and you can actually devote yourself fully to God, but the married person will face many troubles, right? It's, it's difficult, it's hard. So this is what Paul is actually preaching in 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Now the disciples in Matthew chapter 19, if we jump to that verse, um, they actually ask Jesus a little bit more. They say, hey, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. Right, if this is the, the, you know, that God has brought together, let no one separate, you know, divorce, adultery, they're saying it's better not to marry. And this is what Jesus says. He says, not everyone can accept this, but only to those whom it's been given. Jesus is saying is that the single life is actually a gift from God. It's, it's a God-given gift. Now, the hard part with this is in our culture, we don't have a high view of the single life. 
We do not hold a high view of the single life. We're always asking someone, have you seen any, anyone? Are you dating? You know, are you, are you looking? Or we'll say, someone's out there for you, right? Or, or, you know, you'll find someone, someone will come along. And what we're doing is we're actually implying that singleness is less than married life. Like we actually have a very low view of the single life. Here's the big problem with that. Jesus was single. The son of God was single. Paul was single. And both Jesus and Paul have such a high view of the single life. Paul says it's better. Jesus says it's a gift. If our worldview says that you have to be married in order to live a happy and full life, what does this say about Jesus? That's where I often think that we don't submit to the scriptures. We submit to an ideology that we just make up. Dedicated, I'll say this, a dedicated celibate single person actually bears witness to the gospel and to the kingdom and to the life of Jesus more than a married person could ever. See, and while marriage, the marriage covenant points to the covenant God made with, with his church, the depth of the commitment um, the single and, and celibate person points to the broadness, the broadness of God's love, right? That, that a, a single person is not vowed to one person, but they have the, the freedom to love a larger community deeply. And Jesus is the perfect model for this. When Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about that a, a married person, that their, 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 their view, their, their life is divided, they're, they're, hold, they're holding on to a marriage and to God, there's, there's, a, there's a hard, there's a difficulty that comes in ministering to people when you're married. I'm more limited to ministering to people because I haven't married and have kids. I don't have time. Right? There's not all time in the world. But a single person has more, has a, has a life devoted, a potential life devoted to God to show the broadnesses of God's love. Both married and single point to and reveal Christ's love in different ways. So some would say that it's, it's never okay to remarry, um, but singleness is the way to go. And there's a, there's a truth element to that. But others, others would say that remarriage is okay if the following has taken place. And this is where I would agree. Number one is that all attempts at reconciliation and repentance have been exhausted. So you find yourself in the position where you've been divorced, you've been separated, you know, you're separated and divorced and you're, you're considering this. You know, have you tried everything? Has every resource, um, you've exhausted every resource available to you? You, you didn't give up, you know, but you, you pressed and you fought for a long, long time. You chased after the heart of God. You wanted to fix the unfixable. All attempts at reconciliation and repentance have been exhausted. Secondly, is you've dealt with the baggage that you carry. The reality is all of us should deal with the baggage that we carry before we get into any relationship because we all carry baggage. We all have hurt, we all have brokenness, we all have habits, we have ways of thinking. But if we don't deal with it, especially for, for those of us who have been divorced, the things that, that didn't help in the first marriage, we will carry into the next marriage. We will carry into the next relationship. So we need to seek counseling, we need to seek help, and we need to allow God to work on that baggage so we don't carry that into our next marriage. This, the thirdly is the blessing of your community. And I think this is just a good principle for a lot of different things. The blessing of your community. You're, you're seeking counsel from trusted godly family and friends, spiritual mentors, um, saying, you know, they're saying, hey, we, we, are, we bless this. We see the goodness of this. We see what you're trying to do. We, we look at who this person is and who the potential, and we know that you're trying to do this the right way, and they've blessed it. 
When those things have taken place and you've, you feel that release in your heart, then it's okay to remarry. All this to say is that divorce and remarriage isn't black and white, right? It's, it's just messy. Your intention when you got into, uh, if you're a divorced person, when you got married, wasn't to end up in divorce. That wasn't your intention. You didn't put that in your vows. You didn't say, I look forward to the day that we separate and we tear apart this one flesh. You, no one intends for that, but it happens. It's messy. And the right answer for all this isn't always the one that feels right. In fact, sometimes the right answer is the, I should say all the time, the right answer is the one that makes the most sense of what Jesus and the scriptures teach. So marriage is not a contract. God's heart is for reconciliation. Marriage does end in divorce. And number four, and this is the final thought, is divorce is forgivable. Divorce is forgivable. I heard one pastor say, it's not the unforgivable sin, right? To Jesus, divorce is the tearing apart of the one flesh union that God has brought together. It's not his command. But just like it breaks your heart and just like it breaks our heart, it breaks his heart. It breaks his heart. It was not his intention for you. It was not his heart for you. And so I was thinking about the woman that was caught in adultery and she was thrown before Jesus by the Pharisees. What does Jesus do? Does he condemn her? Does he not forgive her? Does he rebuke her? right? Does he stick his nose up at her? Does he turn away in disgust? No. What does he do? He grabs a hold of her and he loves her and he forgives her. And when everyone else was, was willing to stone her, he picks her up and he sends her on her way. He does say, go and sin no more, but he forgives. He offers forgiveness and grace and forgiveness and grace is available for you. It's here for you. It's here for us. So maybe you're watching and you are in a difficult marriage and you feel like it's empty and it's broken and it's tearing apart. Maybe you're watching and you've been divorced, maybe in a few times, and your heart is hard. Maybe you're divorced and you don't wanna open up your heart again. You're just, you're just through. You're not letting anybody in. You've, put a, you've been hurt so deeply and so hard that tearing apart caused a big rift in your life and you're unwilling to open yourself up to anyone again. Maybe you're single. And marriage looks really scary and terrifying. Or maybe you're here and you're just dying to get remarried. Maybe you're just dying to get married. Like you're just longing for that. Maybe for you, marriage isn't on the table because of past things, right? Maybe, maybe you're here and you're just trying to figure out if marriage is for you. Maybe you're, you're trying to figure out if you're, you're to pursue a single life. Here's, here's the truth. The church isn't a place for us to pretend everything's okay. Unfortunately, all of us pretend that things are okay. But the church is a place where we bring it all to Jesus. We bring our sin and we bring our brokenness because Jesus is and has the answer to our heart. Listen, Jesus wouldn't call us to such a high standard if he wouldn't give us the power to hold the standard. Jesus wouldn't give the permission for something to happen if he knew it wouldn't happen. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because we're sinful and we're broken and we mess things up and we can't fix it. And so he says, listen, you can't, but I can. I can restore all things. I can make all things new. You know, for my family, we went, my parents went through a messy divorce. It hurt all of us. I think all four of us, my sister and all, my mom, my dad, we were all deeply hurt in different ways. And it's been a long time coming and all of us bear different scars to different degrees. We've been hurt by it. 
but all of us to a degree have been healed and we've moved and God has restored things and God has worked. My mom's remarried, my dad's remarried. Both me and my sister were in healthy marriages. Like, like God works like that, that's what he does. He's here for you. He has forgiveness for you. He has grace for you. He can mend the hurt. He can heal the brokenness. He can restore. He can give you a new frame of mind. Maybe you've been divorced and so you have a very low view of marriage now. Well, he can restore that. He can make all things new. So I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for you and I wanna pray for us because, because God is, God's heart is for you. God's heart is to help you. It's to empower you. It's to heal you. And you can go to him and you can get forgiveness. Maybe you've never sought forgiveness for tearing apart that union. Maybe you've never fought for, sought forgiveness um, for, for, for viewing marriage in such low regard. Maybe you've never sought forgiveness for just treating relationships um, in a fleeting way. Well, it's, this is an opportunity to go to God and to receive his forgiveness and to be made whole. For those of us, I was thinking though too, before I pray, for those of us who are not in this situation, maybe we're, we're, we're single and we're okay, you know, maybe we're married and we're okay and this is just not, this doesn't seem like it fits us. Well, we talk to people, we walk with people who are here all the time. And if you, if you don't, then you're just oblivious to it. Here's what I'm asking for you to do is first take a scriptural viewpoint of marriage. Jesus has a very high view of marriage. Right? Don't compromise it. Don't water down the truth. Hold to it. Number two is pray for those who are hurting. Maybe you know someone by name. Maybe right now as we pray, it's your time to pray for them. It's to think of them and bring, bring them to God and just say, Lord, I wanna I want pray for them. I want you to hope, make them whole, heal them, restore the relationship, you know, soften their heart and heart. Pray for them. And number three is show grace while pointing to truth. Show grace I'll point it to truth. And that's my hope today is that I'm pointing to the truth of scripture, but I'm extending the grace of God. And just so you know, God's grace for you is bigger than my grace for you. Mine's limited, but his is not limited because of what Jesus did on the cross. So wherever you are, would you bow your head with me? And let's pray. Let's pray for you. Let's pray for your heart. Let's pray for our hearts. Let's pray for marriages. Let's pray for singleness, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, I know that this is, a very difficult topic, God, to discuss and to process and to receive. And my hope is, Lord, is that you're speaking so clearly to your truth. God, I've, I've, I've hope, I hope I've done my best. I've done my best, Lord, and I hope that it came with clarity. But Lord, I pray that you would reveal to every single one of us, God, your design for marriage, your view of marriage, God, how the marriage covenant represents something beautiful, God, that you have between you and the church. Lord, that your intention is not for us to separate and to divorce. Lord, but you recognize that it happens. And there's many people, God, within the sound of my voice who have either gone through it or going through it or have been impacted by it. And so in the name of Jesus, by your power, by only what you can do, would you just begin to minister and heal? Would you soften the hardened heart? Would you heal the brokenness? Would you fill the emptiness? God, would you mend, God, Lord, what, what has been separated? Lord, for those who are fighting right now for a marriage, God, would you give them the strength to continue? Would you, God, give both parties, God, um, the eyesight to see the truth? Lord, would you allow forgiveness, God, and repentance, God, to permeate those relationships in the name of Jesus? 
For those who have just come out of the other end and maybe they're really hurt and broken, would you comfort? Would you, would you grab a hold of their heart, God, and would you heal? And would you mend, God, and, and, would, you, and would, you, would you show them your love and fill their hearts with your love? Would you reveal that you have purposes, God, and that you have a plan and you can use even what the enemy intends for evil for good? God, for those who are single and, and maybe they're wondering if they're ever gonna get married or maybe they're wondering what your purpose is for them, would you reveal to them that, that you love them and that you care for them and that you have a plan and a purpose? Maybe, God, it's to bring someone along. Maybe it's for them to remain single. I don't know, but I know that you know. But I pray that you minister and I pray that you show your love. And I pray, God, that you would help them and help all of us to recognize that we are made whole and our first priority, our first relationship is to feel complete in you. No one can complete us but you alone. So in the name of Jesus, I pray for that. For those of us, God, who have been impacted by divorce, maybe we are the child and we've watched parents go through it. Maybe we are the brother or sister and we become hardened because of what we see. Lord, marriage to us is something that, that we don't want to pursue or look towards because of something we see. God, would you heal and soften our hearts? Lord, you see every person. And my prayer, my hope is that your grace is just being extended and your love is being poured out, God, and people would begin to recognize that your heart is for them. Lord, that you do have a high view of marriage, that you have a strong position on divorce, Lord, that it's not your intention and it breaks your heart. But would we begin to recognize that your heart is for us? So God, I pray in the name of Jesus, would you love on relationships right now, marriages, God, right now, would you restore? Would you restore and would you heal, God? And would you strengthen? And would you help both parties to play their part? And would you allow forgiveness, God, to flow and repentance, God, to be there? And for those who have been hurt, Father God, would you restore and heal in the name of Jesus? For those who are divorced and wondering, maybe divorced a few times and wondering if the next step, God, that, that is, is, is for them to pursue another one, God, would you work in that? In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. God, we bless you and we receive this teaching. Receive your truth and your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's my, my heart and my hope is in the short time that we had right now is you, we would all begin to recognize and this is just a blip in the, the, what the scriptures teach about marriage but we begin to recognize the scriptural view of marriage, that God holds it in high regard. And would we begin to pursue his intention and his heart for reconciliation in all matters of life. God bless you, pray for you, and I hope that you have a great week. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.